Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week, starting kind of a new kind of uh, episode, uh, we're going to be doing these probably for the first of every month for most months. Uh, and, it, you know, it's just like what the title says, just a weird fun bag of just assorted random stories. Uh, you know, I, I have all of these stories, by the way, like if you want to check them out. Uh, you can, uh, I have my 100 stories series of books. All these stories are in there, not making anything up on the spot. Um, but you can check those out. Um, and, and, you know, typically I try to, you know, group them together, uh, into a story or, you know, if there's multiple ones into a theme or whatever, but there's just a lot of random stuff out there. And I wanted to still tell those stories and, and still really embody, the entire point of this show, which is to say that the world has always been a scary place and a really messed up, awful, weird place. So just don't, don't let whatever you hear on the news make you think that things have never been worse because (laughs) they absolutely have. Uh, They've always been bad. And so I think, you know, you can take comfort in that. So uh, this week we are talking about uh, just three different uh, things here. We're looking at the stories of Jeffrey Hudson, Jerome of Sandy Cove, and the 19-year duel. And let's jump into it. Jeffrey Hudson was born on June 14, 1619 in Rutland uh, in central England to a bull baiter, which um, is not what I originally thought it was. It is not someone who jerks off bulls. All right. A bull baiter uh, is a man who just professionally gets bulls to fight each other. Um, so essentially it's it's a bullfighter. Um, you know, if if you think about cartoons and like even like Spanish culture, it's the guy that waves the red cloth and da da da, you know, does all the fancy things and the crowd goes wild until he gets gored to death by the bull because it's a stupid thing to do. Um so Jeffrey Hudson, his dad was a bullfighter, essentially. And while the rest of Jeffrey's siblings were normal sized, however, Jeffrey remained small. Um most people legitimately and this is i'm not making this up most people legitimately thought jeffrey's size or lack thereof was because his mother had choked on a pickle during pregnancy and that's just not how science and genetics works you guys like you can't just choke on a random object and then that affect your kid i mean it might if you like die and then oxygen gets cut off to the to the baby, then that causes problems. But like the, the actual act of choking on a pickle probably didn't do anything to Jeffrey. It was probably the damage had already been done. So uh, when he was seven, Jeffrey was shown to the Duchess of Buckingham as a, quote, rarity of nature because he's that small. All right. He's an LP for sure. Um, he the Duchess was so enamored with this little fella uh, She invited him to live with the royal family and Jeffrey's family was happy to hand him over because, you know, they got a bunch of other kids. It's 1600s England. 
their dad's a bullfighter. They're not making a ton of money here, right? Uh, so a few months later, Jeffrey was dressed in a suit of armor and then stuffed and stuffed inside of a pie to be revealed to King Charles of France. And everyone thought that was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. And honestly, I get it, right? Like, uh, just little people in general. And I know that there's a lot of pushback to stop making them these caricatures. But man, people like Wee Man from Jackass, hilarious, right? And just, you know, just the way their bodies move, it's funny. It's objectively funny. And that's not being discriminatory. That's just an observation. They bring joy, all right? It gets a little discriminatory when the only thing you associate them with is like an elf. That's where it gets problematic. But to just enjoy them and just how they are and how they exist, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that, right? There was a thing, there was a thing in Florida um, at, at one time, I think they may have actually repealed this law at one point, Florida outlawed, uh, what was known as midget tossing because it bars panhandle. Of course, um, you could just go to the bar where this group of little people would be there. All right. And there would be this giant kind of Velcro, uh, wallpaper and you could just take that LP and just chuck them at the wall and see if they stuck. I'm not making any of this up. That is a real activity that you could participate in, in Florida at one point. And then they had to outlaw it because Florida, right? And then I think they repealed it because ironically the little people sued because it, Florida was literally taking away a source of income from them. And it's just, it's just funny. Anyway, Back to the 1600s, uh, little Jeffrey Hudson, he's dressed like a little knight, and then they just stuff him in this giant pie to present to the king of France. Um, later that year, Jeffrey was then moved to the Denmark house where the queen kept her royal court. Um, he was housed with other curiosities, which included a giant man, uh, two dwarfs, and a monkey for some reason. Um, he and the giant man actually began performing together in which the giant would take Jeffrey and also a loaf of bread out of his pocket and then make a sandwich. So that's how small Jeffrey Hudson is. You have two dwarfs in this show and Jeffrey is smaller than that, right? Like I think there was like an old, I think there was like an old family guy cut scene where Peter was just like, yeah, I feel like a dwarf among midgets, which I, <laughs> and like, I know dwarves, like whatever are like marginally taller, but I just, I mean, Jeffrey was a little, little guy. Um, by the 1640s, England was in the middle of a giant civil war as they were most of the other time. Um, the queen had fled to France and actually took Jeffrey with her and named him a captain. And I, you know, she named him a captain out of like amusement. He wasn't actually a captain, but Jeffrey took this very seriously. And he became adamant that he would no longer be the butt of any jokes or the subject of anyone's amusement. Um, so in 1644, uh, this guy who kept making fun of him, Jeffrey challenged him to a duel. And when 
the man showed up to the event with like a turkey baster instead of like a sword. Jeffrey just shot him in the head with a pistol. Just like, I'm you're, you're going to take me seriously. And he, and the guy didn't. And then he died. Um, and while it was a win for little people all over the world, dueling had actually been outlawed in France and Jeffrey was actually arrested and sentenced to death. Uh, the queen of England actually intervened and had his sentence reduced to exile. And within months, Jeffrey was captured by pirates and sent to North Africa where he spent the next 25 years as a slave. Um, when Jeffrey returned to England in 1669, he had actually grown nearly four feet, uh, an extra four feet. So he was like normal size now, but here's the thing. He attributed his growth to the repeated sodomy that he suffered from his captors. (laughs) That's man. So like, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Like, does that mean like, tall girls like the taller a girl is the more she does it in the butt i don't know or is like you know all these nba players is it is that why they're so tall it's because they were repeatedly sodomized when they were children that's a bad joke i as i said it i was like ooh, that's in poor taste but i but i did it anyway because why not it's my show um (laughs) so jeffrey comes back he's regular human-sized which is probably the most demeaning way to describe that. Um, and he, he attributed it to being sodomized repeatedly by his African captors. Um, unfortunately, he was thrown in prison shortly after coming back to England for being Catholic, uh, thanks to the current political climate that made Catholicism a criminal offense in England, because of course it would. Um, he was released from prison in 1680 and died two years later. What a fun story, right? Uh, our next story here involves uh, a guy named Pierre Dupont de Letang, uh, who was a French general during the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars. And during his time in Napoleon's army in 1794, Pierre was ordered to deliver a message to a fellow officer, Francois Fournier Salovese. I got to do the accent, otherwise I can't say it. Um, the message was to tell Francois that he was not allowed to attend the upcoming military ball, which had to have been just devastating news. Um, but rather than going along with it, uh, Fier- uh, Francois challenged Pierre to a duel because dueling was Francois's favorite solution to all of his problems. Um, this may also be where the saying don't shoot the messenger comes from. I don't know. I'm just spitballing on that one. Um, Pierre, was like, you know, he agreed to the duel under one condition, which was that neither of the men could use a gun because Pierre didn't like dueling in the first place. And so they would have to just use something different. Uh, Francois, who just wanted to fight, quickly agreed, and the two squared off with their swords. Uh, Francois was able to actually stab Pierre in the shoulder, who then just called time out and ran away to safety, because I guess you can do that in duels. Um, But since Pierre was unable to continue, the two decided to postpone the duel to finish at a later date. Um, When they met up again, this time Francois was injured and called time out and retreated. 
And then after a third duel between the two resulted in another postponement, the two drew up an agreement to finish the duel. And this agreement included uh, a fight to be arranged whenever the two men were within 100 miles of each other, which in the 1700s, I don't know how you managed to figure that out. Um, No excuses to back out other than illness or military duty because you got to keep your priorities. Um, No pistols unless mutually agreed upon or uh, outside death surrender or mutual agreement are the only means to permanently end the duel so they both go off they do their own thing eventually pierre decides to settle down but his fiance marie he told her all of this and she wasn't thrilled with the idea of marrying a man who was currently involved in this like weird on again off again fight with some other dude and so six months after they made this agreement, the two men crossed paths, crossed paths on a forest road. Uh, although Francois didn't have time to duel on the spot, uh, Pierre agreed to then follow him back to Paris where they would just hang out for a bit and then finish the duel in the morning. Like, this is so insane to me, right? Like, imagine, like, the Bloods and the Crips just in Southside L.A. coming across each other. I don't even know if that's where they live. Um and they're just like, yo, fool, I'm going to kill you. And the other guy's like, hang on, bro. Not right now. Let's just go hang at my crib. And we'll 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 do this tomorrow. And the other guy's just like, sure. That sounds like a great idea, old chap. And then, like, no. That's a weird, this is just a weird process. Um, <laughs> the next day. Uh, Francois awoke to find Pierre sitting very sad by the by the fire. Pierre's a very sad boy. And so when Francois asked Pierre what was wrong, he explained that his fiance, Pierre explained that his fiance didn't like it when he dueled, but he also wanted to live up to the gentleman's agreement that he had made with Francois. And so as a compromise, Francois agreed to duel right there in the room and the two took their positions. Um, like every Floyd Mayweather fight ever the two just kind of pranced and hopped around the room with their swords drawn forever it was boring um suddenly the light from the morning sun broke into the room and when it did pierre was temporarily blinded and francois took advantage of the distraction brought his sword up to pierre's body but did not stab him and pierre thankful for this uh act of kindness just kind of recollected himself reset and then the duel continued Uh, a short time later a soldier knocked on the door informing the men that it was time to go and disappointed that they had gotten themselves into another draw the two men went their separate ways and this thing this kind of thing happened for the next two decades right pierre and francois met roughly 30 times over the next 20 years to try to uh, to uh finish their duel uh pierre Every time they would meet up would get more and more frustrated because Marie refused to marry him as long as the duel was still in place. And finally, after another encounter with Francois, Pierre agreed to duel with guns to finish the fight once and for all. And this made Francois happy. He loved fighting with guns. So the men gathered two pistols and walked into a private park. They then planned to enter at opposite ends and just start firing all willy nilly at each other like you do in a duel, right? Well, when they arrived, Pierre waved to Francois from the opposite end. The two then entered the park and each ran behind a tree for cover. 
Francois fired the first shot, striking Pierre's tree, and then when the dust settled, Pierre darted towards another tree to get closer to Francois. Uh, But here's the thing. Pierre knew something that Francois didn't know. Francois only had one shot in each pistol, so with half of his ammo gone, Pierre launched a distraction by tossing his hat from behind the tree. And although he knew it was just his hat, like he could clearly see uh, Pierre toss his hat out, Francois liked showing off how good of a marksman he was, and he fired a bullet right through the hat. And at that point, Pierre knew that Francois was out of ammo, so he stepped from behind the tree as Francois was just like, click, 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 you know, firing blanks at Pierre. And with a just horror on his face, Francois surrendered. But rather than killing Francois, as you might expect the duel to end, Pierre ended the duel under the condition that the two men remained friends, which is so, so lame, right? Like that's a children's story ending. That's like a rom-com ending, right? Like actually, honestly, that would be a pretty decent rom-com, right? Like two dudes in the 1800s, 1700s, they're fighting. But on the side, Pierre, he's in love. But his lady won't marry him. They refuse. She refuses to marry him as long as this duel is in place. Because I get it. She doesn't want to become a widow, right? And then Pierre finally has a chance to kill this dude who started the fight in the first place. Pierre never wanted this. And he he forgives him. And then he's like, let's be best friends. And Francois accepted. And Pierre returned home to finally marry his love. Which, ugh. Anyway, uh, our, our final story here happened on uh, September 8th, 1863, when eight-year-old Collie Albright was walking along the beach in Sandy Cove, Nova Scotia, when he uh, happened to cross a man who looked as though he was just on the brink of death. His legs had been cut down to stumps, and he barely spoke any English. So the boy took this man back to his home in Digby Neck and actually helped nurse him back to health. Um, News of this man's appearance quickly spread throughout the village, and many people actually went to the Albright's house to see him, um, who came to be known as Jerome, since that was like the closest word anyone could understand that he said when he he was asked his name. Um, They all tried to communicate with him in various languages, including French, Latin, Italian, obviously English. They did Spanish, but he just didn't seem to understand anybody. He also quickly grew annoyed at all of the attention that he was getting, and he started growling at people when they came over to see him. Um, Eventually, the Albrights could no longer afford to keep feeding Jerome, and so he started bouncing around uh, the village there in Digby Neck uh, to whatever family could take him in. Um, the village, which was predominantly Baptist, assumed that Jerome was Catholic based solely on his appearance because, of course, like Baptist people would be super judgy like that. And so they eventually sent him to Matagan, a French community on the other side of St. Mary's Bay. There, he stayed with uh, a person named Jean Nicola, who was a Corsican deserter who spoke several languages, um, even more than the ones that people had already tried communicating with. But even he could not figure out how to communicate with Jerome. Um, Jerome, however, ended up staying with Jean for several years and actually received a $2 weekly stipend from the Nova Scotian government. 
Um, when Jean's wife died, uh, he Jean returned to Europe and sent Jerome to live with the Como family in the nearby village of St. Alphonse. Uh, the Comos took advantage of Jerome's mysterious fame and actually started charging admission to see him. Um, this time, however, Jerome didn't really seem to mind. He'd kind of gotten used to it, I guess, and stayed with the Comos up until his death on April 15th, 1912. And so, um, I mean, over 40 years, over 45 years of just living in this community, no one could talk to him, had no idea where he'd come from. He's just like no legs, just this random person who just washed up on the beach. Um, you know, and, and really, and, you know, yeah, like I said, like for the 50 years or so that he lived in Nova Scotia, no one had any idea who he really was or where he'd come from. Rumors, however, spread around the area that he was a sailor who had attempted mutiny and had his legs cut off as punishment. Um, others believe that he was a wealthy heir that had been disposed of by someone else wanting a larger inheritance or to assume whatever role of power that this Jerome guy may have been getting. Um, Fraser Mooney Jr., who published a book about Jerome in 2008, claimed that there had actually been a young foreigner that had fallen through river ice in New Brunswick. And although he was rescued, his leg his legs had become gangrenous and had to be amputated. And this boy, who was known as Gamby, became a burden for the people in New Brunswick, who then threw him onto a passing ship, not knowing where it was going. The ship, This ship, according to Mooney, may have actually crossed the Bay of Fundy where they then dumped him in Nova Scotia because they didn't want anything to do with him either. Um, the problem is that like Mooney's story has been heavily criticized and most people don't really believe that this is true. There's no real uh, correlation there. And so to this day, no one has any real idea who this Jerome guy was or where he had come from. hope you liked the this little kind of change up um like i said gonna be doing it uh for for a lot i have a lot of these lined up so i hope you enjoyed it um if you didn't whatever that's fine but if you did let me know i I don't know seems seems like a nice thing to do um but otherwise let's see what we learned today What did we learn? Number one, Jeffrey Hudson was a really, 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 really tiny person. And apparently, uh, if you have that sort of affliction, or maybe you're just, uh, you know, just a naturally short person, you know, a lot of women, you're naturally short. Maybe you wish you were a little bit taller. Um, all those short kings out there, you want to you wanna break that six-foot barrier, take a couple of wieners in the butt. Apparently, that's what does the trick. So... Um, you know, for me, I'm six foot three. I don't know what that says about me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know at what range. I don't know at what point, um, you are like tall enough to have been affected by sodomization. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's weird. I don't get it. Anyway, uh, number two, <laughs> number two, uh, Pierre, What's his face? Dupont de Latang and uh, Francois Fournier Salovez were technically involved in a duel that lasted nearly 20 years that ended with the two men becoming best friends, which is so 
disappointing, right? I think it is. And then number three, uh, in 1863, a mystery man with nubs for legs washed up on the shores of Nova Scotia. And for the next nearly 50 years, no one had any idea who he was. Next week on Our Weird World, back to one story, and we are going to look at the Donner Party. Uh, It's one of the more famous stories, um, but most people just know that it was just this traveling caravan that got stuck in the snow and they ate each other. But what really happened and and how did they get to that point? We're going to look at it and it's going to probably be a pretty big episode. So get ready for that. But that is going to do it for this week. Thank you for continuing to listen. Keep telling all your friends. Um, I don't know. Recommend if you got some short friends, recommend that they, you know, take a wiener in the butt, I guess. I don't know. Does it have to be? Hang on. Here's the thing, though. I don't know why I'm fixated on this. Does it have to be a wiener? Could it be like a uh, like a like a thumb or maybe maybe a couple knuckles, a couple digits? Does it have to be another person? Probably, probably someone has to, that's the thing. I don't know if self-sodomization is a thing. Maybe it is. I don't know what the technical terms are, you guys, but I don't know. Maybe look, here's what, here's the thing. If you're curious, right? It's okay to be curious. Maybe just grab something, something that resembles, um, a, a shape that would fit in your cavity, right? And just see what happens. All right. It's probably going to take a few sessions, right? Might be once a day for like six weeks. It could be six months. I don't know, but just try it and see if it makes you taller and then report back to me because I am curious, right? So do that. Um, but also, you know, just keep it weird. through with standing in line to clubs I'll never get in, right? It's like the bottom of the ninth and I'm never going to win. This life hasn't turned out quite the way I want it to be. Tell me what's wrong. I want a brand new house on an episode of Crips and a bathroom that I can play baseball in and a king-sized tub big enough for 10 Plus me. So what do you need? I need a credit card that's got no limit and a big black jet with a bedroom in it. Going to join the Mile High Club at 37,000 feet. Ha! Been there, done that. I want a new tour bus full of old guitars and my own star on Hollywood Boulevard. Somewhere between Cher and James Dean is is fine for me. So how you gonna do it? I'm gonna trade this life for fortune and fame. I'd even cut my hair and change my name. Because we all just want to be big rock stars and live in hilltop houses driving 15 cars. The girls come easy and the drugs come cheap. We'll all stay skinny (laughs) because we just won't eat. And we'll hang out in the coolest bars, in the VIP with the movie stars. Every good gold digger is going to wind up there. Every playboy bunny with her bleached blonde hair. And we'll hide out 
in the private rooms with the latest dictionary of today's who's who. They'll get you anything with that evil smile. Everybody's got a drug dealer on speed dial. Well, hey, I want to be a rock star.